Uh, so I've entered a new phase in my career. I've recently stepped down from what I consider you know, my capstone assignment after a long period of time working in healthcare, um, primarily in, in the pharmaceutical space. Um, and as I've re so I've been reflective, and as I've looked back on it, um, a couple things. First, just gratitude. I feel incredibly lucky um, to, I believe, have found relatively early in my career um, a puzzle, uh, a set of challenges that um, uh, I was curious about, that I cared about, and felt like I could work on and make a difference, and, and that it would matter. Uh, and I've been able to explore that and do that now um, over a long period of time with a variety of different kinds of companies and in different sectors of healthcare, actually. Um, and then secondly, just some reflections on uh, good leadership and good decision-making. And, and um, two things are standing out for me um, these days. One is that um, good, good leadership really is about other people. It's about how you get the best out of other folks. It's not about, you know, you. It's about, it's about your team. There's a whole host of implications that flow from that, obviously, about how to put teams together and get them working well together and how to support folks the right way along the way. Um, and then secondly, that um, all great leadership is situational, that um, circumstances change, times change, and what's needed uh, changes over time as well. And being able to recognize that and have the range and flexibility to, um, within you to adapt to that and play the role that's needed for, the, for that team, for that time, is just absolutely critical. Welcome to There's a Better Way. Each episode, Professor Arvind Chandrasekharan sits down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss how business principles can provide solutions to problems we may face in our professional or personal lives. This program is brought to you by The Ohio State University, Max M. Fisher College of Business. Welcome to There is a Better Way. Uh, I'm here with Scott Howell, uh, a U.S. pharmaceutical former chief strategy officer of Novartis. Welcome to the show, Scott. Uh, thank you, Arvind. Happy to be here. So Scott, uh, you have a very unique background. You actually led the pharma U.S. pharmaceutical giant like Novartis for a long time. But before that, you were doing another important uh, job as a physician, right? So for our listeners today, just give us uh, an overview of like what you've done as a physician leader and what made you think differently and move into the corporate America to do other things for the U.S. Uh, sure, thanks. Um, yeah, so... I started off my career as a physician. I think, um, you know, that was rooted in an interest in science and, and learning and in helping people. I think, you know, lots of folks in healthcare are motivated by those things. And, um, and it was terrific. It was a fantastic fit for me. I, I spent about a decade in clinical medicine uh, and practiced as a general internist. Um, and, you know, but the experience every day practicing medicine was even then, um, that all too often um, here in the U.S. we have things, you know, administrative things and reimbursement challenges and misalignment of incentives and regulations and so on that uh, sometimes get in the way of what I would consider good proper decision making and the organization and delivery of care for patients. And uh, over time, I just got interested in understanding that more, like why is this? and uh, and which then, you know, turned into, well, what can we do about it? And which then turned into, you know, the rest of my career, really, just a journey of uh, following my interests, my intellectual interests in that space and my goal to make a difference in it. And it led me in lots of different directions over time. Okay. So prior to your role, role at Novartis, you were also doing other things in the corporate world, right? Yes. So what mm -hmm. were those? Yeah, so, um, uh, so initially I made a transition from... Um, 
that was pretty near a close adjacency from you know full-time practicing medicine to part-time practicing medicine and doing uh, health services administration. It was group practice administration. It was actually here at Ohio State, mm-hmm. um, which then led to some part-time work at uh, an insurance company, which then led to full-time work at an insurance company. Uh, again, both at Ohio State, and um, and and then from that, I got recruited to uh, I'll say corporate America, if you will. My first corporate job was with Smith Klein Beecham, which was a, a large um, U.S. Uh, pharmaceutical. It was, it was based in uh, actually uh, Great Britain, um, but I was with the U.S. division in uh, Philadelphia. It became what's now GSK, and um, and really the rest of my career after that was spent in larger corporations. I went on to do another stint at a larger insurance company, um, a stint at one of the uh, drug distribution companies and and services companies, Cardinal Health, uh, again here in central Ohio, and uh, four pharmaceutical companies actually. I worked at um, SmithKline Beecham GSK to begin with, uh, subsequently went on to work at Genentech uh, when it was um, a leader in the specialty pharmaceuticals and oncology space. I worked at one of the uh, rare and orphan disease companies, Jazz Pharmaceuticals, and then kind of finished my career uh, with the assignment at Novartis, which I think of as kind of an all of the above uh, kind of pharmaceutical companies. It plays across, you know, pretty much all of the different therapeutic areas. Great. So if you think about the, uh, your experience in the pharmaceutical industry, it, it all makes sense. Again, like, again, they are delivering care, they are the primary uh, component of delivering care, producing drugs, having a leader who has a medical background makes sense, right? But still, you see a lot of times these kind of industries have uh, leaders who have a non-medical like medical mm-hmm. background, right? So when you transition, tell me more about, tell us more about what were some challenges you faced? Because again, you are coming in from a different angle, but still adding value, mm-hmm. but there could have been some things that you missed. What were some challenges you faced and what did you learn from those? Yeah, so um, uh, I was I was recruited really to start a new function at uh, SmithKline Beecham. So, you, and this, so this was 1997. Um, managed care was really in the early stages um, in the U.S. and including particularly pharmacy benefit management, mm-hmm. uh, which was beginning to impact you know the pharmaceutical companies, uh, the choice of medicines and the pricing of medicines and access to medicines and all those things. And uh, SmithKline Beecham was an early mover and decided that uh, they wanted to hire into their managed care division um, initially one a single physician, um, me who had experience working in managed care and could bring um, insights, I'll say, about that sure. space to uh, to their business. And, um, uh, you know, and I didn't really know what to expect. It was a big change, big move. I grew up in a small town in eastern Ohio. I had, you know, been on a pretty um, uh, managed, coordinated, you know, career development path up until then. It was all things that, you know, were pretty easy to decide and do, you know, go to undergrad, go to medical school, do a residency, go into practice, you know, transition to an academic thing and transition to some, you know, local management. Um, but this was, you know, this was, you know, moving to Philadelphia, it was working in a big, much larger global company, um, much more diverse in terms of the kinds of people there, the kinds of talent, the things that it um, took on. Um, many more people who were much more expert, I'll say, in 
um, formal leadership, um, and uh, than I was, and so in a, in a publicly traded company actually as well for the first time. So anyway, there were lots of lots of things that were new and different for me, and you know my my belief then, and I think it's been true with every move I've made. There, there was always something that I could bring to the new team, the new organization. Uh, but there were also new things for me to learn, and that was always part of the attraction for me. It's sort of a journey of, of you know, following my intellectual interests and, and learning, uh, in part, and um, and that was certainly the case, you know, at SmithKline Beecham GSK. There, there were definitely, you know, it was there was it was easy for me to add value in the, in the space that I knew that they needed to know more about. But moreover, there was just so much. You know, there are so many talented people in that organization, and so much for me to learn from them, um, just watching and paying attention. Sure. So I want to ask a very macro question here, again, uh, outside the, the pharmaceutical list. If you think about healthcare in general, it's ex- expensive. I mean, one of the cost of healthcare is so high, and a, a significant portion of that is because of some drug cost, right? I mean, like we've heard about this, we've seen a lot. So, what do you think is the role of pharmaceutical companies like like Novartis or not like uh, Smith Lamb Beacon and other companies like Giant J and J? How do you actually because this is a big thing that um, again uh, doing some work in healthcare myself, I see transparency of cost is important and all. Yet, like we all know that the first drug that you develop is a billion dollars, but then the next drug is ten cents because of the things. How do we really come back cost in this whole healthcare uh, economy equation? Yeah, so. This has been the puzzle that I've worked on through the majority of my career, um, balancing you know affordability and access with sustainable innovation, and it's it's a big challenge, and I think it's actually getting harder. Um, but you know the first thing I would say is that um, drug spending actually isn't by far the largest you know spending driver in healthcare. If you track the government data over decades, going back to 1960 or so. Uh, it's been 10 or 12 percent of healthcare spending, and that's been pretty consistent. It hasn't, um, and so it, it has drug spending has inflated at the same rate of other spending in healthcare, but not more. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it's a minority of overall spending, and so it's it's not the solution I would say to the big challenge of you know um, affordable access to healthcare broadly. Um, now that said, every piece matters, and 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 um, and I do think that, you know, for those of us working in healthcare, um, it's it's not by chance we're there, and um, and it is a very mission-oriented sector, and it is incumbent upon all of us, I think, to be good stewards of uh, the public's you know money, um, and so, so the pharmaceutical industry has you know its role to play in all of that too, the. the the challenge for affordability right now in the U.S. is actually a bifurcated one. Uh, the vast majority of uh, prescriptions filled in the U.S. are filled with generic medicines, yeah. 90, 92 percent. And uh, those medicines actually are generally available very cheaply here. Mm-hmm. In fact, we probably have the best uh, prices on generics in the U.S. of sure. you know any place in the world. Um, and so nine times out of ten, we actually get a great bargain and and, uh, and it's not that expensive and so on. But also that nine times out of 10, it doesn't generate any revenue at all mm-hmm. for the innovative uh, companies that are doing the research and development and all of that. And, and so the, the revenue supplying base for those companies has shrunk from when I started you know, in the industry, probably half of prescriptions were branded. Mm-hmm. Now, as, as many of those categories 
of medicines have become generic over time, big categories like hypertension, diabetes, sure. cholesterol, osteoarthritis, peptic ulcer disease, allergies, and so on. The industry has had to focus more and more on smaller populations. And the good news there is um, there are some you know, very serious illnesses that historically have not had great medicines um, to treat in, in those types of conditions. Um, the, the hard news from a business perspective is there are just so many fewer patients that sure. per unit or per patient price has to be much higher. And so we've gone over time, over decades, we've gone from a, an industry that was mostly supported, or this, the innovative industry, mostly supported on large populations of patients, relatively small per unit um, prices, to one that's just the opposite of the now, that now. Smaller and smaller populations, very high per unit. Um, costs. Uh, this has led, you know, the payers in the U.S. to to do very aggressive um, formulary management, sure. access management, drug utilization management, and it's led to higher and higher cost shares for patients as well. And the problem with that now is all those things are interfering with people's even appropriate access to medicines that they need. Uh, the number one and number two reasons that people don't fill prescriptions that their doctors give them are that they weren't able to get through the administrative hurdles at the uh, with their insurance, or they weren't able to avoid their co-pays, mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's a difficult problem. Lots of people, lots of companies are working on this. Um, we could spend you know a whole Hours together, yeah, a long time talking about this. Uh, but in a nutshell, you know that's what's happened in, in in the challenge of where we are today. Okay, so so if you were to look back in in your own time as a leader in, in these pharmaceutical companies, what were some things that you did to actually make some of these things more affordable? Yeah, so um, so I've been, I think, lucky in many respects as I reflect on my career. I found something relatively early in my career that um, interested me, that I thought mattered, and I felt like I could make a difference in. Um, I've gone on to spend most of my time in the space related, the subset of healthcare related to drugs, and I've done that from the perspective of an insurance company. I led the pharmacy program at Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield. I've done it from a perspective of distribution and services company, Cardinal Health, and I've done it from the perspective, obviously, of pharmaceutical companies as well. Um, in each of those roles, there was a different um, set of things that I and my teams were working on uh, that related to, um, generally, uh, in, in a broad sense, trying to make medicines more affordable and more accessible. Um, and so sometimes that was work, working on pricing and contracting and payer and channel strategies at a pharma company. Uh, sometimes that was working on patient services programs and uh, copay assistance and free goods programs, you know, at a pharma company or at Cardinal Health. Um, sometimes that was working at the insurance company, trying to get uh, do good negotiations and get good prices on behalf of our members. Uh, having a good network of um, retail pharmacies and and all of those kinds of things. So, um, so I look back on it and I, I feel, you know, pretty lucky. I, I found the thing that I cared about and wanted to make a difference in. I was able to work on it from a variety of different angles. Great. So Scott, again, like you wore multiple hats, like you just said, like you were a physician, worked in an insurance company, lead insurance transformation worked in like accountable care kind of companies and the pharmaceutical companies. So if you think about, if you reflect back on all those leadership um, experiences in this, right? Were there moments where, again, like from your own experience, uh, you had some challenges? And if so, how did you like 
manage them. A any any examples of those would be very useful to learn because of your uh, multitude of uh, experience and backgrounds that you had. Sure. Yeah. So you know, so everybody in business obviously you know is is dealing with challenges and, and opportunities at the same time. Um, and I have certainly got, you know, my list of stories that I could share, Aravind, as well. Um, you know, I joined Novartis uh, about six years ago at a time when they were having some challenges in the U.S. market. The, the, the managed care environment for the um, coverage and utilization of drugs, as we just discussed, had changed quite a bit. A bit. It had gotten much more adverse, much more aggressive and uh, difficult. The company had launched a couple of... Um, medicines uh, within the last the prior year or so and they weren't doing as well as the as the organization and the team had expected and they didn't really understand why and um, and that was you know basically why I was brought in to help them figure that out and and you know craft solutions and and uh, evolve the team to where you know we could could deal with the new realities um, of the much more challenging um, you know, payer and PBM management, but you know that that was an example of uh, an important challenge. And you know, our solution there began with a proper understanding of what was going on in the marketplace. I, I think I've always been a pretty fact-based uh, leader and decision maker. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the first step, you know, was really just kind of breaking down what was happening and what we thought the drivers were for that. And then, based on that, we we could craft not only solutions on the one hand, but we could also use that information as um, our uh, rallying cry for the change sure. initiative that was needed. Needed. Great. So again, from your own experience, Scott, like uh, what are some skill sets for leaders to have? Like you mentioned, I've, I've heard a few, like negotiations, I've heard that multiple times. I've heard you say a lot of times of resilience and fact-based management. But from your own experience, to be a successful leader, no matter which industry mm -hmm. you are from, based given the breadth of experience you've had, what are some skills that they should absolutely have that they should think about getting it before leading these uh, institutions? Yeah. So, you know, at the macro level, Ervin, I think of, uh, you know, the role of leadership is to try to help get the best out of other people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the reality is that in, in most of these kinds of companies, most of these kinds of challenges, it's bit much bigger. The issue is much bigger than any single person or even you know groups of people to solve, and it takes you know organized, concerted um, effort. And um, and so really, you know, I think you know my job as a leader uh, at some of these organizations wasn't so much to necessarily know everything and make all the decisions or all those things, but it was. Was actually to help other folks on the teams um, be the best that they could be, and so there are a whole set of skills I think that are you know related to that identifying and developing talent, and you know helping to um, guide them and support them on the one hand, but also giving them you know lots of free reign to uh, do their thing and and uh, learn and and uh, make mistakes themselves and and have successes themselves and grow. Um, so I think you know that's. Uh, really job one for a leader is um, figuring out how you get the best from other people. The second thing I would say that I believe, you know, kind of at a macro level is that all great leadership is really situational. Mm -hmm. um, there are times when, you know, the, the, the team, the situation demands a leader to act as a driver, you know, somebody that's really going to set the pace and hold a high standard and 
all those kinds of things. And then there are other times where, you know, that's not what's needed. What's needed, you know, the team's driving hard, but they're hitting some roadblock. And what they need is really somebody that can um, diffuse the situation, help them figure that out, step back, decompress a little bit, maybe craft some new approaches and think about how they can, you know, shift gears or shift directions a bit. And, uh, and so I think, so if I were just thinking thematically, that would be the next big thing. It's like, as a leader over time, how do you develop a set of experiences and learnings? And, and this gets back to that, you know, continual curiosity and learning, ref- sure. being very reflective about, like, what's working and why and what hasn't worked. What have I seen that hasn't worked and why didn't that work and what can I learn from it? How do I, you know, put those tools in my toolbox um, to use later when I'm in a situation like that? So anyway, I think getting the best out of other folks and, um, and then all great leadership is situational. That's, that's very important, uh, Scott. So what's next for you, just out of curiosity? Yeah, so um, I have long envisioned um, a final uh, stage of my career uh, where I do a combination of two things, um, teaching on the one hand and advising on the other. So um, I, you know, I spent a lot of time as a student myself uh, and, uh, and I've been a lifelong learner. I'm the, the son of a, of a teacher. And, um, and so I value those things. And, and, uh, and so eventually over time, it, it um, resulted in some opportunities for me to do some teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do, um, I have done most of my academic work at, um, uh, UC Berkeley, mm-hmm. uh, but also you know some other institutions as well, and I do. I've been doing it for 15 years or more at this point. Uh, a combination of mostly guest lecturing sure. or co-leading, co-instructing uh, a course, and 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 it's also led to um, some research and writing and publications as well um, in this area of drug pricing and access that, that we were talking about, and um, and I've enjoyed that a lot, and I'm. Can, you know, early in my career, I thought if I could gain the experiences and learn about healthcare from a variety of different perspectives, I would, you know, know enough to be able to make great decisions and unlock some, you know, sure. real value. And there's a certain amount of that's true, but you know, also what I've learned is just like how hard it really is, yeah. and and how stuck it really is, and so and and how strong the reasons are that it's stuck the way it's stuck, and. And so I've, you know, over time, I've become aware that um, we're not going to solve it all, you know, while I'm <laughs> working on it. And we need to prepare good people in the next generation to, you know, have that mission and feel that purpose and uh, have the skills that they need to, you know, continue the, the work. Um, so anyway, that's been very um, fulfilling for me. And I, and I want to continue to that, do that and do more of it over time. And then the second is, um, you know, some advisory work. I, I've uh, I've had the great fortune of working with a lot of great companies, a lot of great people along the way, and in a variety of different roles. I've learned a lot of things, both you know about what works, but also about you know what works less well. I'll say, and um, and there are a number of those folks, you know, that uh, now um, have you know seek me out and 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 say, hey, Scott, I understand you're available. I'm working on this thing over here. And I'd really like you to come help us think about it. And so now I'm working uh, with about a half dozen companies, uh, very diverse, you know, uh, group of companies. Uh, Novartis is actually the only biotech and pharmaceutical company. The rest are all health services or health technology um, kinds of company or health health 
uh, provider kinds of companies. Um, and it's just been a lot of fun. And so I'm enjoying that. And, you know, near term, I'm planning to continue that. And longer term, you know, I may continue it that way with working with a diverse group, or I may decide to focus it a bit, depending on, you know, kind of what emerges and what comes along. But I'm trying to be patient and stay open and, you know, don't have to have all the answers today. Yeah. I mean, your approach, Scott, the way you thought about, like, I can't solve the world puzzle, but I've learned a few things. I want to give back in terms of teaching yeah. and even advising other companies. That's very important because that way the others can actually follow your steps to actually solve other small puzzles in a way that they can completely solve the whole puzzle. So this has been really a treat to talk to you, Scott. Again, thanks for uh, coming in. Our listeners really enjoyed, I'm sure, about your ideas of leadership given your uh, multitude of experience and background. And there's always some takeaways in these conversations. So thank you so much, Scott. Oh, it's been my pleasure, everyone. Happy to do it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. For more episodes or more information about The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, please visit fisher.osu.edu.